Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Talk to you about uh, thankfulness and having a thankful heart. Any opportunity that we have to be able to communicate um, a posture of thankfulness, I always want to capitalize on that. I believe the um, response to God in the Christian life should be thankfulness at all times. The heart posture towards him should always be thankfulness. So anytime Thanksgiving pops up, always try to take advantage of talking about thankfulness. So one of the most beautiful things in the Christian life is understanding that you have a will, that you have a free will, that God is not controlling you, someone else isn't controlling you, You may let someone else control you, but the reality is they can't control you. You can't control. You can control how you respond to other people. And the beauty of understanding that you have a free will, when you can grab that, when you can capture that in your relationship with God, everything shifts with him. When you know that he's not forcing you into something, but he is protecting your will and he's not going to violate it, something shifts in your intimacy with God. It's, it's a beautiful dance with God once you realize that. And because of that, that means you get to choose to respond how you want to respond. And you're always in control of how you want to respond. Let me give you an example. I have four daughters, uh, eight years old and younger. I'm a blessed man, and uh, we do what we call daddy-daughter dates or mom and daughter dates. And recently, my five-year-old went to, got, a, got to go on a, a mommy date Uh, to Starbucks. How many of you know about the cake pops at Starbucks? My daughters love the cake pops at Starbucks. And so um, the five-year-old comes home with the cake pop in hand, eating it. Eight-year-old sees it and completely loses it. She's upset. She doesn't like the idea that someone else got the cake pop and she didn't. And so she, you know, she's upset, she's crying, the whole thing. And so I, I say to her, once she calms down, I say, okay, tell me, tell me what's going on. And she says, well, she got one and I didn't. And I said, okay, so what, what you're telling me is that when someone else gets something that you wanted, that means you get to lose emotional self-control. And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, well, explain it to me again. She said, well, I wanted a cake pop, but it's not fair because she got one. I was like, okay, so that means that when you don't get what you want, you feel like you can just throw off all constraint. And she's getting old enough now. These are these fatherly moments that I'm really excited about. She's starting to understand. The three-year-old cannot understand throwing off self-control, but an eight-year-old can. And so, anyway, I'm teaching my children at a young age, you control how you respond. It It doesn't matter if she had 50 cake pops. You can control how you respond. Let me put that into context of everyday life. If your boss does something you don't like or your spouse or a friend, you can still control how you respond. If your response, if your emotions come out and your response is, well, they did this, you're out of control. Literally, you're out of control. That means someone else is forcing you or controlling you into a response versus I am choosing to respond a certain way. So the beauty of the Christian life is that we get to choose how we respond. Um, the Bible says that he loved us first. That's why we love him. So the Christian life is a response to God because he loved us. I get to love him back. And the Bible's filled with examples of how he is uh, encouraging us to respond in certain ways. And none more clear than in the book of Thessalonians 
when he talks about thankfulness. So I want to I want to base everything today off of this verse. Um, the this is a book, a small book written by the Apostle Paul, writing to the people of Thessalonica. And this is a, a, a new set of believers that he's communicating to. And so this book has a lot of very simple applications um, throughout, throughout the whole thing. And he gives this tremendous verse that most of you have probably heard. Um, I believe that all scripture is tremendous. All scripture is, has life breathing off of it. But there are some scriptures that jump out that are cornerstones of thought that we should grab and really live, live by. And here's one of them. I'm going to start with... Um, Chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. Okay, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. All right, here we go. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus, for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. I just want to grab that moment. Quenching the spirit is in tandem with despising prophetic and a prophetic environment. It's very important that we have prophecy being a normal part of our community. We don't want to quench the spirit. How many of you want to quench the Holy Spirit? You're in the wrong place if you want to do that. One of the ways to do that is despise prophetic words. Not good. We don't want to do that. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Okay. Go back to 16 verse 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. I, I used to hear this verse and I thought it was just cute. I just thought, Man, that's really neat. In all circumstances give thanks. For this is the will of God. So here's the thing. If you're curious what the will of God is in your life, it's to be able in all circumstances to give thanks. And I used to think that was just a piece of the puzzle, as though that was just kind of a nice side thing. I, I actually don't think that's true anymore. What if, what if we just took this at face value? What if God's saying, look, if you can get this thankfulness thing down in all circumstance, if you can give thanks, I can build on that. If you can learn in all circumstance to give thanks, the, the will I have for you will begin to be established in your life. So if you're curious, should you be a teacher or a lawyer? I'm not sure, but what I do know is you should be able to give thanks in all circumstances. What is the will of God for your life? It's to be able to give thanks in all circumstances. In anything, give thanks. Should you buy this house or buy that house? I don't know. But give thanks in all circumstances. That's the, that's the will of God for your life. So if you're curious why you're on planet Earth, it's to figure out how to give thanks in all circumstances. And, and I believe when you posture your heart that way, God will begin to build what he has for you in your life. So do you, do you want to be a group of people that want to give thanks in all circumstances? And all things give thanks. I... Um, if you're a part of this church, you, you want this as well. I would like to see revival be a normal part of our community, tangible presence of God um, amongst us at an extremely high level. And from that place, we send people out, and the city is impacted, um, economic impact, creative impact, all of that stuff. And I believe that the, the amount of presence of God and thankfulness is tied together. God's not going to... 
outpour himself on an entitled group of people or people who don't understand how, how wonderful it is to have his presence around us. So for people who are not going to be thankful, it's going to be very difficult to have the, pre- the measure of presence that we want. Will you be thankful with me? And in all things, give thanks. Okay, I'm going to pray. God, I pray that we would be people who understand in all things how to give thanks. We would learn how to respond to you. We would learn how to respond to you in all seasons. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I I found the fountain of youth. Do you want to know what it is? Yoga Lotties. I I started doing yoga lattes like um, about a year and a half ago, and it has been a tremendous blessing to my physical body. Um, it's two doors down from my office. It is just overwhelmingly convenient. Yoga lattes is intense stretching mixed with like hit training, things like burpees, that type of thing, and it's like 90 degrees in the room. I'm terrible at it. Um, I feel so out of place. Everyone is so much better than me at it, and I'm not sure if I've gotten any better over the past year and a half, but I feel absolutely tremendous as I do it. But I'm 35 years old. I turned 36 in February. But uh, fast rewind 20 years. So 20 years ago, I was 15 years old, and I loved basketball. I I was this height and weight also when I was 15 years old. I was a large child. Um... But my coordination had caught up with me already, so I was actually, I was excelling at sports, specifically basketball, because I was just taller than everyone, and I'd play them on an eight-foot goal and feel better about myself. Um, Just find the kids who didn't know how to play and dominate them and then feel better about myself. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Um, Anyway, so I just, I would, I just ran myself into the ground. I was all, all the time playing basketball, playing basketball. And at 15 years old, I hurt my back pretty bad. And it was just a gradual thing that happened. It wasn't one moment, although I do remember moments that happened that were just very intense um, pain. What happened was I went to uh, the doctors. They suggested surgery. where I basically have what I'm diagnosed with, degenerative disc disease or syndrome, which basically means that your, your discs, my lower discs are getting smaller and smaller with age. They're supposed to be. And so I remember at 15 years old, it was very, very difficult for me. Um, I had to stand during class. I had to sit out a year of basketball. I couldn't play sports. It was just very bizarre 10th grade year of my life. It was very interesting. And I remember in that season being very upset with God. I was upset that something had happened to me that I didn't feel like was right. Something was stolen from me, and I didn't feel like it was right. And I had to sit out for a year and basically complain about it. I remember when the doctor's report came, I went outside, and I actually started yelling at God, um, thinking that all of this was his fault. And I remember in that season, him just reminding me that in all things, be able to give thanks. And I remember thinking... I don't want to give thanks right now. This is not fun. I'm in a lot of pain, and it doesn't make any sense to me. But at a young age, I remember God just saying, can you find me in this? Can you find me in this? Can you give thanks in all things? Can you give thanks when you're high or low? Can you give thanks when, you're, when your health is poor? Are you able to give thanks in anything? I remember at a young kid, I didn't even have theology. I didn't know what that meant, but I began to till in my heart, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of all of this. And it was a very, very difficult time. 
Um, and just a little side note, I don't, I don't think God gives sickness. I think that God wants to heal everyone in the room right now because if Jesus was here, that's what would happen. There's no sickness in heaven, so it shouldn't be here. But learning how to, in the midst of something you don't even believe, and there's pain in your body, learning how to respond to him in thankfulness. See, it's, it takes a mature Christian that in all seasons, in all circumstances, to say, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to feel entitled, I'm going to respond in thankfulness. And I begin to learn that at a young age. As I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, I used to feel like I would champion, like, yeah, I love God, and my back hurts. It's like, man, he's done a lot. The least I could do is give him thanks. Like, if, if you're having trouble of what to find thanks for, it's like our, our breath is borrowed. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, perspective on things going on in your life should always posture you in thankfulness. So for me, that was a really difficult time and and learning how to always give thanks in that season and through all of that thankfulness god led me to the fountain of youth which is yoga lattes. and in yoga lattes, I, honestly most of my back pain is completely gone it's like tremendous so i get no money from yoga lattes. i don't care what you do i'm just letting you know it's the fountain of youth highlandia road um no i'm just totally kidding um no, so, but, but anyway, in, in all things, just learning how to give thanks. So the, the main thing I want to shift into, um, and then we're going to do communion here in a little bit. Um, when you're postured in thankfulness and when you're able to give thanks in all things, when that is the position of your heart towards God and towards other people, one thing that it does is that it kills comparison. So I'm going to talk to you about comparison for a second. Um, when you compare what someone else has to something you have, you're telling God that I don't value my process with you. I don't value the testimony you have with me. And I would prefer to not go on this journey I'm in with you. I'd rather have someone else's process. When, when you're comparing what someone else has to what you have, it is impossible to be thankful. It, it, the moment you turn into jealousy, the moment you turn into coveting, you can rest assured 100% positive that you're not thankful. Thankful people don't covet. This was such a big deal to God to not compare that he made it one of the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment is to not covet, which is rooted in comparison. He, he literally says, don't, don't covet your neighbor's house, their stuff, their spouse. Don't do all of that. Why, why for centuries, why would he say that? Because he knew what it would turn into. And if we're not thankful in all things, it's going to turn into that. When you look at someone else and you want what they have, and you're not thankful for what you have, it limits what God can do in your life. The way I say it is this. If, if I watch someone else who has a gift or God's blessed them, and it inspires me, I know I'm coming from a place of celebration for that person. If it's in jealousy, I know I'm not thankful for something. Like if, if someone has a breakthrough in their life and I'm like, man, how did you do that? Like teach me about that. That's awesome. I'd like to partake in that. Like teach me that. That's a good response. That's not coveting. But if jealousy rises up and comparison rises up in your heart, I'm, I'm 100% sure that we're not in all things able to give thanks. Are you with me? This is a, I, I just think it's a, it's a really big deal to God that we learn as a community to not live in comparison with other people. It's so easy to fall into. Like, 
really, really easy to fall into. Um, the way someone's spouse may treat them, the way their kids are, they didn't have the same parents that I had, or they didn't come from the same financial situation that I came in, or they don't look like this, or whatever it is, it's so easy to fall into comparison. And, and the way to get that out of your heart is to be thankful. This is going to sound funny, but if you're thankful in all things, it's like, God, thanks for the mess that I'm in. I know it sounds crazy. God, thanks that I'm in this mess, and with you I get to learn through this journey. He may not even have caused the mess. He may not even want the mess, but you can be thankful in the mess. Guys, I'm telling you, this is, this is, what, this is what mature Christians should be like. Our first response should be thankfulness in all things. Okay, one more thing with that. The, the idea, my kids say this all the time, and it's, it's rooted in a lack of thankfulness. They use the word fair. That's not fair. And as adults, we, we do that as well. We just don't say it out loud. We typically, if you're going to compare and complain, that is saying that's not fair. So I just want to let you know, as, a, as, as Christians progressing in our faith, life is not fair from our perspective of what we call fair. And when you get your eyes off of what you've been given and you turn it on someone else, you will always have this fair thing in your heart. But if you keep your eyes on what God has for you, fair, you, you don't even think about fair. You just think about, this is my process with God. Some of y'all, you know, I just mentioned my back. I was just honestly trying to give a good example. Some of y'all are in really tough situations. And this is when it actually would cost you to give thanks. This is when it matters. In heaven, you're not going to be able to respond the same way you are now. Before you get to heaven, you can give God praise that you can't give him there, which is in the midst of my crap, I'm going to thank you. I'm not going to token to it. Like, I'm going to posture my heart to thank you. And this idea of what's fair will always come back and bite us. I'm going to read this to you. I did a sermon about six months ago called Redefining Fair. And I really broke this down a little bit more, but I, I, I just felt like I was supposed to do this tonight. So I'm going to read you Matthew 20, um, verses 1 through 15. You guys with me? Okay. Um, we're going to do communion in a little bit. So get ready. Get your hearts ready. All right. Okay, so um, I had mentioned last week that Jesus actually came hiding truth, not giving it. What Jesus would do would give a parable, and if you were hungry, you could come get more. He, he could have made it so much more simple than he did, but he gave truth, and if you were hungry, like a hungry disciple, they said, Jesus, tell us about that. That's what he wants. So scriptures that way don't just some of it is just face value, but it has so much revelation to it. And when you get alone with God and say, "Teach me about that," okay. So verse one, it says, "Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them." Go out into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? 
they said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you can go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he, now here's the, the master replying, but he replied to one of them, Friend, I am, I, am I doing you no wrong? I'm sorry, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with, did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give the last worker as I give to you, and I'm, am I not allowed to do with what I choose what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? This is not a passage about universal income. <laughs> um, this is a passage about heart posture. Um, I, I just want you to get this here. People agreed, they were given something, and they agreed on an amount to go to work. And there was some people that worked the first minute and some people that came at the 11th hour and only worked one hour. And at the end, they were all given the same amount of money. And the guy who had the first part, the guy who worked the whole day and got one, looked at the master and said, um, hey, that's not fair. I, I, you, I got the same as this guy over here. And his response to me is just amazing. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Listen, is it possible to have a kingdom perspective that when you're, you're postured in thankfulness, you are able to see God's generosity on someone else? Gosh, I hope this is landing. Let's redefine fair. If, if what I would consider jealousy towards someone else has a breakthrough, what God's saying is, I want you to see my generosity towards someone else. Is that making sense? It's not what I don't have. It's, hey, look how I've blessed that person. If, if we can get this, the idea, concept of fair goes out the window. If, if God says to you, here's a promise I have for you, and you work 10 hours for it, and he says to someone else, hey, here's a promise I have for you, and that feels bigger in the natural, celebrate when that person gets their breakthrough. And feel the tension in the air, the friction in our souls with this. We don't like it. But the reality is, guys, I'm telling you, when we take our eyes off of him and we look to the guy to the right or left, we'll always end up in this tension of fair, not fair, this whole thing. And God's looking for people who would keep their eyes on him and in all things give thanks. So if you, if you worked at the first hour of the day and someone else got the same amount, your response should still be, I'm just thankful that he gave me what he said he was going to give me. And in that place, God can put more on that, not take less. You know the parable of the, the mina where God gives one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one? I think those are the right numbers. It's interesting. Just, just start there. Isn't that a little weird? He just decided to give one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But what I do know is the ones who didn't steward got theirs taken from them. So the point is, if, if, if the guy who had three turned to the guy who had five and just complained, he wouldn't have got promoted to be over three cities. 
he, he, didn't, com- he didn't complain and say, it's not fair he got five, I only have three. So they, they, they all had the same return. God gave them all a hundredfold return, but for some reason someone started more than the other. I can't explain it. I just know I need to celebrate it and don't worry about fair. Can I get an amen? All right. The, uh, in closing, the number one thing that we should be thankful for, or if you can't find something in your life to be thankful for, which you should be, be thankful that you're breathing, um, is the cross. The cross of Jesus. When in doubt, if you can't find a posture of thankfulness, think about the cross. Study what the cross did. We're on this side of the cross, which is an incredible feat. I love the Old Testament. Thank God for the Old Testament. I'm really glad we're in the New Testament. It's way better. (laughs) I promise. The New Covenant. He he made it new because it's a little bit better. Thankful thankful for the old covenant, but man, I'm really excited about the new covenant. So what I'd like to do is um, we're going to do communion. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, do this often in remembrance of me. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.